the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to The Situation Report, giving you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stonlicker. I'm here with Chad Robichaux. And in the large number of issues that we're dealing with as a culture, there is one that continues to rise to the top of the larger cultural conversations. And there are so many issues, uh, it's hard to keep track, but this one keeps coming up, and you're aware of it. Uh, if you have watched anything on the news, listened to anything on the radio, if you are on social media at all, you know this is an issue that we're dealing with, and it is the transgender movement. So many different aspects of that, so many questions that need to be asked. But one of the confusing things to me about the transgender movement conversation, so this is folks talking about it, is that so many women in the women's rights movement have been very silent about what's happening. We could look at trans women in women's sports, both in high school and in college, and now even in some professional sports. Uh, Other areas that trans women, these are biological males who are now identifying as women, are moving into that traditionally have been held by biological women. So many in the women's movement have fought for the equality that they have, and yet as this conversation continues to come to the surface culturally, they are remaining quiet. The question is this, and this is the question in front of us today, what is the impact of the transgender movement on women's rights? Thankfully, we have a great guest with us today to help deconstruct this and understand uh, what exactly we need to be looking at as we have this discussion. Sarah Gonzalez is with us today. Sarah, thank you for joining us. This is our second attempt, so thank you for coming back. Most people don't give us a second shot, so thank you. (laughs) Really appreciate it. Uh, Sarah, for those of you that don't know her, is the host of the News and Why It Matters on the Blaze Network. She's a political commentator. She has her own YouTube channel, which you need to check out, Sarah Gonzalez Unfiltered. And she is a mother, probably the most important thing on her resume, and apparently a karaoke expert, but not in that order. That's what I've heard. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I would say the most important is <laughs> Not the, the mom, but the karaoke. Okay, well, so. at least you have your priorities straight. <laughs> um, Sarah, for those that are unfamiliar with you and the work that you do, can you give us some background and um, maybe get us caught up on how you get to where you are right now? Sure. Um, Well, you know, quite honestly, I uh, am one of the uh, few grateful and lucky people who, or I should say blessed, actually, who uh, was able to turn a hobby into a full-time career, um, politics and law. Uh, in particular is something that I always have really just been very, very interested in. Um, I graduated with a degree in criminology and a minor in forensic psychology. And I remember I had a, a law, it was my, stat- my crime statistics teacher 
um, in my my major who asked me, please come to office hours. Now, as a you know senior in college, you have a random professor who asks you to come to office hours, and you get a little bit nervous. Right. <laughs> but it turns out uh, he just wanted to tell me that all of my essays that I had written, he loved. He wanted me to go to law school. He thought that I would do really well there. Um, but as a senior who was graduating in three and a half years, I had done a lot of work to make sure to cut my time in school short. Sure. And uh, it was really it was a really difficult thing for me to look and say, you know what, I'm going to commit myself to all this, uh, you know, school uh, and money, really. So yeah. I decided not to do it, but it was always a passion of mine. I was always very into it and involved. Um, I started blogging with the, uh, the website that is redstate.com. Um, they bumped me to a front page editor. And from there, I got the experience that was necessary to move over to theblaze.com, where I started out here, actually, as a reporter on the dot-com side, uh, writing stories for the company. And um, I told them, I said, I, I really want to do on-camera. I'm very interested in on-camera work. And I started uh, a, a appearing on Dana Lash's show when she was here. Yeah. And just kind of, you know, there was, a, there was an opening, and I was able to snag it. And I've never looked back. It's just politics yeah. and government. And I mean, you know, how culture affects politics has always been a great passion of mine. And I just feel really blessed that I'm able to call this my full time career now. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. You do awesome at it. I know one of my favorite, when I go down to the Blaze and get the opportunity to be on Glenn's show and speak, I always ask, can I get on Sarah's show and uh, talk <laughs> about whatever current events they are? And, and uh, yeah, so I, that's one of the things I enjoy being on the, in the news and why it matters. We're, at, we're at a place, uh, thanks. We're, and, and by the way, I, I still have the coffee cup I stole from you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Just to remind me to go back on your show. But uh, we, uh, we're at a place in our time in our culture right now where everybody gets to decide like what gender they want to be, who they want to be, what age. I mean, it seems just so confusing to me. And, and there, there just seems to be any little pushback. And if there is any pushback, then you know, the left just attacks them. As, aside from the many issues that, that ideology presents, how do you see uh, how do you see this transgender movement as a threat to women's rights? I mean, to me, I've been out speaking out on this regarding women's sports because as an athlete, I just have so much respect for women in sports. These young girls that work their whole lives to be able to earn a college scholarship and, and it's being taken away from them because of this. Where do you see women's rights being under attack from the transgender movement? Yeah, I mean, I would completely agree with you that the the place that most people recognize that it is the most under attack, uh, you know, women are threatened the most is, of course, in women's sports. Um, and I think that you need to look none further than, uh, you know, uh, the woman, the MMA fighter who had her skull fractured. She had her skull beaten in by a, a transgender woman, so a biological man. Um, who thought that it would be a good idea to put those two together face to face? I don't know, because as science tells us, men are obviously, you know, stronger uh, uniquely in certain muscle groups, muscle categories than women. So um, I would say uh, the obvious answer, I think, is women's sports, high school girls sports. Uh, you know, you're going to see high school girls that have aspirations of going to college on a scholarship that they aren't going to be able to get now. Uh, if we are doing the song and dance where you cannot discriminate against biological men, biological boys, if they in fact choose to take, uh, you know, take a position in women's sports. But I think really when you look at the heart of it, uh, for instance, I just, I ju it was just International Women's Day, right? And um, not too long ago. And 
I put out a, a tweet that just said, uh, acknowledged that biological men do not have the right to be called women. Um, and I was labeled as transphobic. And so I think that, you know, as much as we jump to the sports uh, idea that, you know, women are very, very threatened in sports, I think that it, it is more pervasive than that. I think that ev even women in everyday life, mothers especially, uh, you know, even in Canada, they're going after mothers who actually would tell their child, you know what, I know that you feel like you are a, a girl, but you were born a boy and you're actually a boy. I mean, you can get in trouble for that in other countries now. Um, and as we know, things that happen in Canada, things that happen in the UK, trickle down to the United States within a few years. So I, I really think that, you know, we do talk about women's sports and it is an, a very obvious answer and a very, very great example of how the transgender movement is hurting the women's movement. But I really think that it's so much more pervasive than that, because as a mother, I could get in trouble for raising my child uh, the way that he was born. And I think that that is a very, very scary thing. And I think that it's something that, you know, just goes very overlooked at times that mothers, families, really, when we're talking about the transgender movement taking over women's rights, we are talking about every family in the United States that could potentially be under attack. Yeah, that by the way, that MMA fighter is uh, Fallon Fox, which I don't Fallon think. Fallon Fox, thank you. I don't, I don't think that was his birth name, but he was in there. I mean, as a man, I'm like, what do you get out of beating up women? It's just like fundamentally yeah. the, the most. I mean, yeah, you do have to wonder what is with these biological men who think they want to go into women's sports. Is it just because they can't cut it in, you know, in the sport that they choose as a man? I don't know. It, it's, it is very curious what would be going on in their heads uh, thinking that it would be a great idea to beat up on a woman. The great thing is, though, he lost to one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that says a whole other thing about him. Uh, but, there, you know, I mean, there are some but, scary women out there. Yeah, but, but if you look at that, you, ta you take that, that example, for instance, though, right? Uh, you've got two people, MMA fighters, but in any other situation, he would go to jail for domestic violence. Absolutely. Right. I, outside, of that, outside of that cage or ring, he would, he would go to jail for... Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Of, Where are the women on this? I mean, the women's, where's the feminist uh, defend, <sighs> defending our young girls? Uh, yeah, it, you know, it's it's an interesting uh, question because, you know, we had the, the first wave and the second wave of feminism that I think I can look back and say there was a very obvious reason for those, you know, um, you know, women needed the right to vote. Women were trying to rally together to uh, get actual really equal rights in the workplace, um, at schools, things like that, that the first couple waves of feminism, you can go, okay, there were, there was some really good work that they did there. Uh, it was necessary. And then once you hit the third wave of feminism, you, you go, okay, this is, this is not, this is not something that was needed. We already had equal rights. Um, and so I think that because the squeaky wheel gets the grease, you have a lot of people who, as much as they want to talk about women's rights, are being drowned out by the squeaky wheel. Um, and when I say that, I of course mean the LGBT movement, specifically the T's, because I know a lot of LGBs who would say, we don't want anything to do with this transgender radicalism that is taking place. So specifically the, the transgender agenda, I would say, uh, does a lot of work to drown out the women's rights movement to the point 
that I think there are a lot of women that are scared of being canceled, quite frankly, um, you know, because they see people around them. They see someone, they see J.K. Rowling, uh, you know, they see people who are, ser- who are saying very basic statements, sort of like what I said. Hey, guys, biological men don't have just this inherent right to just decide that they're women to be called women, right. which, by the way, that's, what, that's why they came up with the name trans women. Right. I mean, the, the whole entire point of calling them a trans woman is because they are not a biological sure. woman. Therefore, yep. they are not a woman. That's why we have different terms for them. Um, but they they call you transphobic. They send death threats to you. They try to get you fired from work. And so we live in this environment, I think, where, you know, the person who cries the loudest gets their way. And unfortunately, right now, even though it's a very, very tiny percentage that we're looking at with the transgender uh, movement, there are a very small percentage, although it is growing, and we could argue about the reasons why, it's still a very small percentage of the population, but they're so loud and they're so dedicated to, uh, you know, just terminating all of the people who disagree with them that they just run the show, unfortunately. And the women have just given up. And it's very sad because, I mean, kind of the entire point of the women's movement was to give us a seat at the table. And you have these biological men who are coming out and basically telling us to sit down and shut up. And we're doing it. And that's the most frustrating part of it all. I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide, with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org to learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is MightyOaksPrograms.org. One of the, the uh, I, mean, I think, larger cultural issues that a lot of this has raised is the question of why. When we look at censorship and the things that are being canceled, the things that are not being canceled, and as you mentioned, a very, very, very small segment of our society that would identify as transgender, and yet they have the loudest voice, and it, they are dedicated to their cause. But why, why is that? Not why are they dedicated, but why do they have the loudest voice? Why do they have the biggest platforms? Um, is there an underlying agenda beyond sexuality and gender identity and all these other issues that we're looking at? Is there something bigger, or is it just simply these folks are super devoted to what they're doing, and so they get the platform? Um, I think that, well, it's, that's a very, it's a complex question, I think, because I think that there are a lot of, it depends on the person, right? It depends on the, the situation that they find themselves in. But I do think that there are a lot of people who are radicalized by the movement who wouldn't necessarily be radical without it. So what I mean right. by that is, I think that there are a lot of people who start out that, you know, they 
are being told certain things um, by the movement. We need equal rights. We need this. We need that. Now, it's not necessarily true, as as we see. There are a lot of things that right. they say, we're just fighting for equal rights, and you say, well, you have equal rights, that, right? There, there are not ways in which you are discriminated against. Sure. Can you yep. please show them to me? But they right. don't know that because they think that they're passionate about something, and they latch onto it, and they're being fed these talking points that they then parrot. But I think from the top down, they are radicalizing these people to really eat, sleep, and breathe this issue because they genuinely think that there is, discrimina- is discrimination going on. They genuinely do believe these things. And I think, unfortunately, um, as we see in Marxism and, and so many things within the left, they are useful idiots. And I, you know, I hate to say it like that, but sure. unfortunately, that, that really is what they have become. They don't double-check to see if this is true. And you know what? I will say that I think that, that the most unfortunate part of that aspect of it is that you have all of these uh, leftists, including a lot in the medical uh, you know, profession, that are pushing these people into a lifestyle that will make them more prone to depression, to suicide, yep. to all of these things that you would never want for someone, uh, you know, and so I think that, you know, with the top of the LGBT movement, the organization, I think that they do have an agenda to radicalize these people. I think that they work in conjunction with the medical profession, specifically mental health professionals. And I think that really there is a sinister ploy up at the top just to make things more postmodern, you know, which means uh, there are no truths. Um, There are no absolute truths. Gender, there is no truth. Gender is fluid, you know, and they'll tell you that that is science. And so I think that you're seeing all of these moving parts working in conjunction and kind of brainwashing the sheep to believe it without double checking to know if that's even actually right. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys recall, but I remember it really wasn't that long ago. What was it, 2013, when gender dysphoria was actually in the DSM uh, (laughs) for mental health professionals to use? It was actually a term that they were able to diagnose someone with. And all of a sudden, that became stigmatized, and you were not allowed to diagnose people with that. And so they had to go in, and they had to make some changes um, to normalize it. I mean, if if that doesn't just kind of ooze with evil intentions, I don't know what does. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we deal absolutely. with a lot, a lot with, you know, the DSM for uh, for the military. And mm-hmm. one one version ago, you would have been put out of the military. For right. Criteria. Just one yeah. they, they made it, they changed it just for that criteria. And they're, and they're, and, and Chad, they're changing it not just to, I mean, they're changing it so that they can push people towards this lifestyle. That's that's right. the crazy part to me yeah. because it's not just we're changing it and you know we'll let the chips fall where they may uh, you know it, I mean they have a movement that is pushing people into this lifestyle yes. that they know will cause a lot of harm to them personally. Right. Absolutely, they're completely aware. Of, I mean, the, the numbers on on the, when they talk about regret and, and suicide yes. with people who didn't and the. We had a guest on actually the very first show that we had for Situation Report, who was just an expert in this, and he talked about the regret being in a 90 percentile for those who have had some type of body-altering surgeries or, or medical uh, drug drug transformations through hormones and things like that. Yeah. Uh, they, but they know this. You're right. They willingly know this, and they're still pushing it. What's yeah. uh, so with this? 
kind of aggressive agenda and, and people pushing this on our culture as, as we're talking about. If I'm a woman in America, and by the way, I'm not. I'm a man. <laughs> Today. Like, just with this topic. Today. I can Maybe not tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. But as a woman in America, what can women in America expect? How, do, how could it impact the lives of women in America moving forward as this becomes more aggressive? I mean, again, you know, as a, as a mother, which uh, there are many women in America who are mothers, I don't think that they, I think that a lot of times they just stick their heads in the sand and they say, this doesn't affect me. I have a child who knows their, you know, their sex or their gender, and I'm just going to keep on going and not speak up and not say anything for fear of uh, having the pushback, the blowback that we see all too often with the LGBT movement. But I'm here to tell you, um, I mean, they are infiltrating in our schools. So if your kid goes to public school, uh, wake up because there are a lot of curriculums that are being passed that include uh, teaching them about the transgender agendas. I, I recall my, my son before I pulled him out of public school. So I will just say I do put my money where my mouth is right. and uh, he is homeschooled right now but when he was in public school I believe it, he was in the first grade when I found out that the library that he uh, had at his public school had included all of these books about transgenderism about les uh, lesbians and you know it was just something that was I it hit me like a ton of bricks and I said hold on that this kid is in first grade he is not old yeah, enough well, yeah. not to just be learning about this, but about any of that kind of thing. I don't want him, I don't want him even thinking about any sort of sexual acts. Um, and unfortunately, they're, they're coming for us. So I think as women, uh, specifically as mothers, and uh, you know, if you want to raise not just women who know their worth and know their value um, and don't want to let men erase them, but also men who are strong as men, because as yep. we have seen, you know, they're told that they're too toxic, that they need to be more feminine, which is entirely untrue. Um, but I think whatever, whatever sex of children that women have, you've got to be looking at these things and you've got to be taking it to the local level because the local level is really where we are going to see changes made. Um, you can talk to, you know, the school boards about the curriculums. You can make sure that you know what your kids are learning. But better yet, I know this isn't something that everyone can do, better yet, pull them out of public school entirely because we could go on and on about all of the existing issues in sure. public school. Yep. But they are hitting it where the kids are young so that they can indoctrinate them early. And I think that, that women really need to be aware of that and really, really be proactive about it before it's too late. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the arguments around this, and this is kind of the last question, I guess, is one of the arguments is the compassion argument. This is what we're always pushed to. If you care for people, then you will create space where they can be who they are, and this is who they are, and it's the compassion argument. Chad mentioned uh, Walt Heyer, who we had on our show you know, many episodes ago. Uh, Walt is a biological male who transitioned to female in his 40s. I don't know what all it looks like. Um, later on, transitioned back and now in his 80s continues to work with folks who have transitioned and are trying to go back and dealing with all of that. Uh, he made the statement on our show that 100%, and I clarified with him, 100%, 100% of the people that he works with who have transitioned and are now experiencing that regret and trying to go back um, have endured deep trauma in their lives. So this transition process is a response to trauma. And so as we normalize this behavior, we're ignoring the trauma. So we're ignoring the real problem. 
And, and when I think about that, I think the compassion argument is why we're being told we need to accept this, but really compassionate people would confront the truth and try to help people who are actually hurting. So I don't know if you can definitively answer this question, but as a strategy, how can we objectively <laughs> speak truth in a compassionate way that tries to help people who, who sincerely are hurting. And many people are hurting and they're getting swept up in this, as you mentioned earlier. How do we speak the truth in a way that's compassionate and helpful? Yeah, um, I think that that is a really, really important question because I think as a conservative, uh, oftentimes we get written off as being, you know, right. you're, well, you just are not compassionate, you don't have a heart, you don't understand, and that is not actually obviously the case. I mean, and let me just give you just a really quick example of, you know, I've had this conversation multiple times this week when we're talking about kids at the border. Um, You know, we're having the same conversation now about kids being put in detainment facilities. And we heard the White House press secretary talk about, uh, you know, it's the humane and moral thing to do. And, you know, we have this conversation and go back and forth. And I say, well, hold on a second. Wait, I think the humane and moral thing to do is to tell these people to stop sending their children because they know (laughs) that the walk will be too unsafe. Right. So I think that you can really you can really apply that to what we're talking about here as well. I think the compassionate thing to be teaching our children is that the walk is to I mean, you don't want to do this. Right. And instead of pushing the kids to it, you want to be teaching them scientific facts. You want to be teaching them biology. You want to be teaching them these things um, and kind of guiding them, which, by the way, is the entire point of being parents and being responsible of a child until they're 18 is to guide them and to teach them these absolute truths uh, that we have. And so I do think that it is important that we do speak truths. I think that it is important that if there is an adult who wants to be, you know, called something a different name, I don't, I don't see a reason to disrespect them just for the sake of disrespecting them. Um, But I think that we can still speak truth and not be, rude or disrespectful just for the sake of being disrespectful. But I will say this. I do think that the best strategy that we can have to combat what is going on, because we are compassionate people, is to really, really target the medical community, because that is where the most harm is being done. There is a there is a case in, uh, in Dallas, actually, of two twins, and one of the twins the mother, who is a pediatrician in the Dallas area, the mother says the boy is a transgender and wants to live as a trans girl. The father says that he does not. And the father is on the verge of losing his parental rights uh, going through this legal battle with multiple appeals in this. And so, I, you know, because we have the mental health community who there are way too many of them who are now on the side of yeah. someone says that they're a girl, we should just, you know, let them let them tell that that's their truth. And I think that the longer that the mental health community continues to put these kids, uh, you know, at a detrimental place where they don't understand truth and they have these professionals who are really encouraging the behavior, yeah. I just don't see the I don't see the problem really being chopped off at the root. So I think yeah. that the root cause is we have to find a way to get to our mental health professionals to let them, you know, know that this is hurting kids. What they're doing right now and what they're diagnosing and what they're pushing kids towards is hurting them. Um, and right. unfortunately, I think that until we really, really get the mental health community and the medical community 
to come back from this part of the pendulum that they're on, um, I think that we're going to see a lot more damage done until we can figure out how to do that. Yeah. Great. Sarah, thank you so much. I know you are yeah. running to your show right now, but uh, thank you so much for your insight on that. Love to talk about this and some of these issues again in the future. But uh, yeah. everyone who is listening, go follow Sarah on her YouTube channel. Find her at the Blaze Network, and uh, you'll be blessed by both. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Such an important conversation today, and, and I'll say this before we get into our situation report. This is a conversation that very few people are having, <laughs> and more people need to have. Uh, and this is not a conversation about casting dispersion on a particular group of people or a segment of society. It's not that, although often it is characterized that way. This really is a conversation that seeks to understand what are the consequences of the decisions that are being made right now? What other groups of people will be impacted by so many of the things that we seem to be talking about without asking the right questions about? I'm thankful that Sarah would spend some time with us uh, so eloquently put on many of these issues, and, and she's so direct and so clear. Uh, just appreciate the conversation and uh, her perspective on these things. And so I want to break down a few of the highlights in today's situation report. The first one is this, and Sarah mentioned this, we brought this question to her in this way, what is the impact of the transgender movement on the women's rights movement? That's a fair question. She broke that down. She talked about the various um, aspects of the women's rights movement. But then she transitioned us to the larger conversation, and I think this is important for us to, to see clearly. The bigger conversation is not just how will the conversations or questions around the transgender movement impact women, but how will these questions, how will these conversations, how will these issues, and so much even of the legislation that's coming out right now, how will they impact homes? How will they impact families? It's not simply women and women's rights that will be impacted by what's happening. It is society at large. We must take this seriously. Uh, very important for us to understand. A uh, second point that was made, and this is a great point, is that really uh, it is the medical community that needs to be directly addressed when we're dealing with these issues. Because it's the medical community that is saying things and allowing things that are in direct contradiction to science and to medicine. And yet these are the folks who are allowing the conversation to go forward without the questions on the other side, what are the long-term implications for the person who is transitioning for uh, the culture and society at large? We need to uh, really address the medical community when we're dealing with these things. The third uh, point that was made, and this is, to me, always an important conversation, is around the idea of compassion. Uh, it is not a lack of compassion that motivates us to ask these questions. It's not a lack of compassion that motivates us to have these conversations and to invite people in that are experts in areas uh, that we are not experts. In fact, it is compassion that says we need to address the medical community to hold them to the standard of science that they say they hold themselves to and to help those who are in, in many ways struggling through these very, very important questions. Uh, so many wonderful takeaways today, but those are the key points for your situation report. Thank you again for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to talking to you next time.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.